This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Hey everybody, thanks for joining Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. And I am Robert as always, once again, here oh. with you. Always having to throw in that little bit of extra. So <laughs> we have a we have a surprise today. Usually, I always like to say this, we, you know, the show's called Two Nerds and a Joke, but this person is definitely not a joke. Andrew is joining us today, and he wants to have, and we figured, you know what, with all the stuff that he's involved with, why not share it with the rest of our crowd? So, Andrew, why, uh, you know, you're pretty much into a lot of things. Uh, how'd you get started? So, my story is interesting, because it's a bit, a little bit tragic, sort of. Where I didn't start out, I'm a podcaster, I write for a website, I do anime and Comic-Con panels, but I didn't start out in any of those sectors, nor did I have any idea what I was doing. I actually was on YouTube, and I was doing anime videos, I was doing comic videos, and the long, short version of this is I was clicking on my own ads, running up my AdSense account and monetization on YouTube back in 2003. 13, I should say, and I got demonetized. And so I said to myself, I'm going to go find another way how to make money. I thought writing and having ads on a website was easy. Created a website, have dysgraphia, which is the closest thing associated as almost being dyslexic as a writer. Thought I could make money, created a website, and then I was doing written interviews. And then I said to myself, nobody wants to read. And that's how the podcast came about. And at the same time that all this was happening, I had this big panel called Exploring Dystopia through Attack on Titan, The Walking Dead, and Fahrenheit 451. And there was over 250 people at Anime Next. In that room, there was two other top presenters who were guests at that con at the same time, and their rooms were not filled. And people were rejected from my panel at that con. Didn't get paid got a free ticket to that convention and I kind of figured out kick started me off and realized maybe there is something to what I'm doing. And so that's how I got into all of this. And I've been going strong since where one thing has led to another that's led to another that's led to another. And it's been, I think seven, eight years now with the website. It's been about seven years doing panels. I just did one in Washington DC at BlurredCon. And then I have 100 interviews for the podcast, give or take one or two. And my goal is that in the next 14 years to do another 500 to 600 interviews in the next 14 years. Dude, those are some excellent bona fides there, man. Yeah, you really have to get, you really run the gamut with, with a lot of things. And you really, what is it do you feel that made you such a success at that panel that it kind of kicked this off for you? Was it something you said? Was it just how you talked, your connection? What do you think it was? What was your magic sauce, if you will? Nobody did anything like it before. And it was such a new concept because at the time that I did that panel, Attack on Titan sort of just finished its first season. And then it went on hiatus. And Attack on Titan was one of those shows in the anime world where people stayed home on a Saturday to watch it. And it was very similar to Dragon Ball Z, where everybody was watching it. And every 20 years, we get a show that is the show to watch, where everybody's in on it. And that's what Attack on Titan was. 
And so a lot of people were excited for that. And then The Walking Dead, which just ended, was one of the most popular comics in the last 20 years as well. And then everybody knows, or I at least think where I'm from, everybody read Fahrenheit 451 in high school. And so when you have those three things, people are like, oh, I recognize those items. I recognize The Walking Dead. I recognize Attack on Titan. I recognize the book Fahrenheit 451. And I just had people glued to me. And people were just fascinated because they're like, how do these things relate? Because nobody before that was talking about any of this. And that's the craziest thing is that I just got there first. And it's, it's crazy because it proves the point that if you have a good idea and you throw it out there, that you don't need to be a top guest. You don't need to be a top celebrity. You can create the idea and you can be the first one there and people will flock to you. And in many ways, it's opened up a lot of doors for me as a presenter because, you know, it gets me on the ballot, for lack of a better word. No, and that's the key piece is getting people interested right up front. I mean, because Fahrenheit 451 is a very, very interesting book. They even turned it into a movie, which I think was only okay. But it's a very interesting connection to go through those three things that are so very different on the surface and be able to just connect them all together like that in any way. Is, is is definitely going to make you very interesting to a lot of people. So I guess that's that's a huge that's a huge start for you. So as you said, you did a lot of interviews. So do you have like the first or your favorite interview that you did once you got into that world of I'm going to start talking to people outside of the convention world? So I'll I'll tell a story about the first interview I did because because it's relevant. It's relevant. So I don't know if anybody knows who Derek Padula is. And the only reason why anybody should know who he is is, A, he wrote a really good book called It's Over 9,000, talking about Dragon Ball Z, and he has a website called The Tao of Dragon Ball. The reason why he's relevant as of right now and will be for the next few months is he was just named in the Vic McNaga lawsuit as an exhibit. Wow. And that entire thing just came out where an article he wrote is actually a piece of evidence in that case against or for Vic, I don't really know the full extent and I don't want to make any statements because I don't want to be sued and I don't think anybody else wants to be sued here. But fair enough. It's interesting because I interviewed him and we spoke about his book. And one of the things that I was explaining and talking about it with how I got into all this is that I did my podcast initially just as a written interview, just audio. And it wasn't a podcast. It was just the first four episodes which were Derek Petula, Debbie Derryberry, who was Jimmy Neutron and Zatch Bell, Howard Cruz, who was the leader of the gay comics movement, and Bob Fingerman, who wrote this thing called Minimum Wage. Those four were not podcast interviews. They were just interviews, almost written like a written format, just audio. And then wow. that's, that's kind of how the thing happened, where you realize that, oh, maybe I'm decent at this. Maybe I can do something interesting in this field and then you know it kind of spun out of that but it's very cool that first one it, yeah. it, it, it holds a special place it's not my favorite interview there there are two that are my favorite for for di very different reasons but the first one is fun because it's like okay what am i doing and you have a lot more leeway on what you're doing and it's kind of what kicks and you need a spark to start a fire but the two favorite ones are Santine Phoenix, which I believe is number 34. And Santine is a very interesting woman. 
to, to say the least. And I will just say this, um, that podcast interview turned my show from being a PG-13 show to being an 18-plus show. Oh, and, wow. Really? And then so based on who Santine is, and, and I will let everybody know, I'm just going to give everybody fair warning that if you have your significant other and you're a guy, um, you might want to not look it up when she's looking over your shoulder. Or if your mom tends to look at your phone over your shoulder, you also might not want to look it up with her around. And then the other favorite interview was with Keith Silverstein. And he is Tornbolt or Torben Jorn from Overwatch, as well as he's Char and he's just a voice actor. And he was just a boatload of fun. And he was making a lot of jokes during the entire podcast. And he's just a fun guy to interview and have a conversation with. Not to mention that I'm an Overwatch player. I'm a Gundam fan. And so it's very cool when you get to interview people who are who, who you are fans of. He was in Naruto also as one of the Sound 5. Uh, and he was the bad guy who Rock Lee and Gara had a fight. And so a lot, a lot of fun stuff was in that interview. And it was almost like reliving my childhood with him. That's going to be amazing because that's something we, we want to try and do with this is talk to people who are involved or have been involved in some of our favorite stuff too. And you've definitely got a, a, a real window into that world of that. So that's, that's kind of fun for me to see how much fun you're having with it and, and how much you be able to meet these people who are part of shows that you love. So obviously you're a huge Dragon Ball Z fan. Um, is that one of your top animes that you like or is there other ones? You know, I, I love Dragon Ball Z, and, and I enjoy it, and I'm a decent Dragon Ball Z fan. Um, but one of the things is that I don't – looking back, Dragon Ball Z was important for, for the anime world, but my favorite animes right now is something like an Attack on Titan or a My Hero Academia or even like a One Piece because I think there's actually so much more substance to those animes right now especially something like One Piece, where Dragon Ball Z is a very simple story, and it doesn't really... It's a great fighting story. It's fun to see Goku power up and get kicked down and then keep getting stronger and come back. But we look at things like One Piece or Attack on Titan or My Hero Academia. Those shows have a lot of complexities to them, and that's what I like about anime right now in particular. And those three are my favorite because they do have those complexities and it's almost like they've grown with their audience. I mean, I don't think most people understand that one piece has been around since I think 1999. One piece has been around for 20 years. And I mean, we have 900 episodes of that show. Naruto came, I think in like maybe 2003, 2005. And that didn't have as long of a run as one piece, but there's like 800 episodes of Naruto. So, and that those shows are way more complex than Dragon Ball Z. And I think that's something that is so fascinating. And it's good for the anime world because people want more complex stories. I mean, look at Netflix with all the stuff they are producing. And I might hit a sore spot and it's a little off topic, but House of Cards, before everything happened with Kevin Spacey, it was a very complex show. It was a great show. It was like, I almost thought it was the anti-West Wing show, you know? It's very much that, but that's what people want now, and people want complex topics, and that's what anime is gearing towards now, and it's really wonderful. So the Dragon Ball Z era and even the Sailor Moon era, those really set the stage and set the table for breaking down the door, 
And now today's world in 2019 with anime, it's very intellectual. It is not what people who are 50 plus years old remember and viewed anime as smut is anymore. The, the anime world has changed where it is embracing more of Japan because in 2000, everything was Americanized. And now there's a pushback and things are embraced in Japan as well as there's just a higher quality of animation, just of physical talent of drawing and then animating something as well as complexities within that field. And that's where anime is going. And there's always some new story that's just going to kill it. And Dr. Stone is, is a really good example of that that just came out. I was just going to ask you when it comes to like the, like anime, we know like anime Japan has the U S or America or Great Britain or any of the other countries have anything similar to like what Japan has done with their storytelling. America has two things that are comparable right now. Actually, three. Ruby, R-W-B-Y, which is done by Rooster Teeth in Texas. And, that one is really good, yeah. And then Avatar The Last Airbender, Korra as well, which is done in a very similar style. And then the third thing, which is the debate, because it only had eight episodes so far and it's going to get a season, but Michael B. Jordan is in it, and that's Genlock, which is also done by Rooster Teeth. And so... Those are very much done in the anime style. And then as far as Netflix has their uh, heavy metal rocking raccoon or red panda, whatever you want to call her, because we all know red pandas are raccoons. Um, <laughs> and, and so we, we have that and that's pretty cool. And then there's just some other stuff out there that, that I mean, it, it, France has a bunch of comic books that blow America away. Uh, France is the number two comic distributor and buyer slash seller in the entire world behind the United States. And Japan is number one because manga is just Japanese comics. So the French have some really cool anime stuff. Uh, I forgot what it was just. I think it was April in the Extraordinary, Extraordinarily World, I want to say. And it had an amazing English voice acting cast where... You had Susan Sardone was in it. You had Paul Giamatti, and you had J.K. Simmons. I think was was in there, and so you had a lot of cool people like that in that. But that originated out of France, and wow. so well, Japan Japan isn't the only game anymore, right? And and I think uh, they also I think France also exports uh, that miraculous thing that Ladybug and Cat Noir. I think that's them also, but I think. I think that's more of a comic book than a cartoon, right? I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm not totally familiar with that topic at all. Like, I don't know everything. I, I, I can't possibly know everything. So, but, and they, they export a lot of stuff. And that that's the thing, which that 20 years ago, and this goes back to anime, it goes back to comics, is that some, getting something from France or Spain or the UK, it was possible, but it was a lot harder. Right. Yeah, you're right. And now it's a lot easier. And it's it's not even so much physical copies are a pain to get still. So if you want a French graphic novel in French that originated in French that was more indie that's limited to 500 copies, it's going to be a pain to get. But you could get a digital version of it, and that's going to take 10 seconds. And so digital comics from other cultures are really big. And it's the same thing with anime. I mean, look at Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll's entire business 
is that they translate anime that aired in Japan an hour after it premieres for U.S. viewers and other people who want to watch it in the world. So as soon as an episode hits, perfect example is that Ace of Diamonds, which is a baseball show, came out this morning in Japan, or maybe it came out tomorrow, because Japan, I think, is ahead of us. But the, the idea is that within an hour of that show coming out, it's already translated, and then I can watch it within an hour. 20 years ago, that wasn't possible. Right. Right. Now, I, I want to say, I don't know if you come across this whenever you do your, your panels or your interviews or if people come up to you and say this, but like me from my generation growing up in the 70s and seeing the, the heavily dubbed and edited, you know, Japanese anime that they used to show here, like uh, Speed Racer, uh, Gotcha Man, which was called uh, Battle Beyond the, the Stars. Um, and I forgot the third one. The third one was like, I think it was called Massinger Z or something like that. Like huge, heavy mech robots. Um, but they were all so heavily edited that when I go back and watch them now, they don't hold up. However, when you watch the unedited versions dubbed or subbed, they're way better. They're way more complex. Yeah, you know, it's I, I deal with weird stuff in, in my panel. So the closest thing that, that I talk about with old school anime is I go through Asama Tezuka, the godfather of anime. And so for, for those who don't know, he did Astro Boy, oh, he did Blackjack. Yeah. Astro Boy, he, yeah. And he did this little thing called Kimba the White Lion, which may or may not have something to do with the Lion King, which may or may not be in a Happy Meal at McDonald's or in a movie theater. Um, and, and I encourage everybody to actually check that out because it's actually very fascinating, Tezuka as a whole. And his entire circle of life with Walt Disney. Fascinating individual. But there is that discussion that occurs. Because in the intro of Astro Boy, there is a moment where Astro Boy is punching and capturing the KKK. In black and white in the 1950s, 1960s. And that wasn't edited out. When it was playing in Japan and in America. But then again, there's a lot of stuff that does get edited out. And so it's a very weird topic, the entire anime world. And there, there's always a discussion that occurs when I do that panel about what does this all mean and why was this allowed and why is this not allowed in other senses. And so, but, but what I find is that anything uncut, anything raw, whether it's a manga or it's an anime, tends to be better. And I think that's where all this anime stuff is leaning towards right now. There's a show on Crunchyroll called Goblin Slayer, and there's a rape scene in the first episode. Nobody knew it was coming, and when it happened, there was so much backlash. First off, I applauded the show for doing it because it's a bold move to do something like that and say, and, and by no means am I encouraging rape or anything like that, but it's nice to see a show become raw and be shocking. And then following that, Crunchyroll had to issue a warning at the start of every single show saying this show might not be for everybody. It's graphic. You know, you should be an adult. It can contain offensive language. But the first episode did not have that. 
And we're starting to lean that way with more animes right now. And I think that's what you were saying back to the 70s goes to that. Well, my my first experience with something like really like mature themed was the movie Ninja Scrolls. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. Like there's a lot of like, and it's like a lot of Japanese legend, I guess, or storytelling in it. And, and folklore, they kind of overlay into that. But like they they put it right there on the screen, and just like when I first saw it, it was dubbed, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this this is amazing. I like you, I don't condone that, but it was just like I never seen anything like that before. Why hasn't any more of this come around? It, it's very interesting. I was actually at earlier this year in January for my birthday. I went to a convention and I was presenting an underrated military, and. This is the one point I'm going to curse in this podcast, but but it's it's in its name. There's this little anime called Apocalypse Meow. It's a manga, and then it became a 30-minute short animation. And the animation is called Cat Shit 1. So obviously, Cat <laughs> Shit 1 is referring to a nightmare military scenario. I mean, I mean, it says it in its name completely. When when you hear the name Cat Shit 1, you, you know something's happening. And so the entire anime and the brief story is that everybody is an animal. So the United States is a rabbit because rabbit in Japanese is USAGI, U-S-A-G-I. So United States of America General Infantry, because that's that's what we are. Got it, yeah. and it's about Vietnam. And then in the modern version that was just done, we're in Iraq. And then you have like the Iraqis as camels and you have like Australians as kangaroos and koala bears. You have the British as foxes. You have the uh, French as pigs because they were greedy in Vietnam. And when I did it, a bunch of you came up to me and said, this is nice to see something that is so politically incorrect because it is refreshing. And I think that that's what the uncut, uncensored, uncaring anime and in that shock culture and showing real violence and, and real bad people because you know, you could have a bad guy and, and this happens in Dragon Ball Z is that you have a bad guy, but he's not really a bad guy. I mean, everybody knows Frieza. Frieza is a bad guy. He kills people, but he doesn't do anything heinous. He doesn't do anything to make you hate, you know, something, you know, there, there, there's a discussion in wrestling that's going on where Sammy Callahan just faced Tessa Blanchard and he hit her before the pay-per-view with a baseball bat. Okay, that got people interested and said Sammy Callahan is a bad person and is an evil human being and it got people to buy the pay-per-view. And when you have animes that do that and condone this stuff, it gets people talking and it gets people saying, how is this person going to be brought to justice? Right, because that's what people want. They want to see the good guy prevail over the bad guy. And, and so that, that's what uncensored anime deals with and it's, it's refreshing. It's refreshing because how many times do people, um, you know, hold their punches in life? I mean, there's a time and place, but it's always nice when somebody just drops a truth bomb and obliterates everybody in the room and people are, are, are stunned. I mean, you, you don't see it that often. And, and people typically respect people who do that. There's a time and place for everything, but that's where I think anime is going. And I think, I think 
we're getting there where people and animes and shows in general and even comic books are saying we're done holding our punches and we're going to call it like it is. So it's almost like a counterculture to what's going on in the world in real life where a lot of people are almost hypersensitive to all of these issues. And it's like, you know what? Screw you guys. We're going to go back to what's best and we're going to keep our our audience happy that we know will go and, and buy and watch and enjoy the raw experience. So it's almost like a, a backlash to what's been going on in the political correct world. Uh, yeah. And, and also, I mean, I, I hate to bring up politics, but Trump winning the election in 2016 also broke that mold in, in a lot of ways. And then no matter what side you stand on now, certain things are acceptable to do. It's okay to go to certain lengths and levels because, you know, the president, but also just the fact that, you know, we we are in a new era of what is okay, what is not okay. And also there are new, there are a whole new set of rules because of that. And so if you look at shows in the last three years, there is definitely a change in culture of where comedy can go because of that. There's a change in culture of how vulgar you can go. There's been a change for the last 20 years where you couldn't say, you know, the B word. I'm not going to curse again because I don't <laughs> want to turn this into an overrated 18 show. But 20 years ago, you couldn't say that. And when you said it, it was shocking. Now you say it and it's like it's like the word hell, you know, or it's like the word damn. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It, 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 it's meaningless. And even if you drop an F-bomb, you know. Every once in a while, a show will drop an F-bomb, but you're like, it doesn't mean anything. But when you start going into new, more heinous territories and you're raising the bar, that's meaning something. It's, it's showing a raw side of humanity that people just aren't used to seeing in comics and anime and, and the entertainment world. They're used to, you know, a few, as you said, a few words here and there that become part of the vernacular, but not really a entire, like, I'm going to show you this raw. It's kind of almost what happened with, with like, a, in the live action world, like with Watchmen, where it showed some of that kind of thing. And people were kind of freaked out about that. I I agree where it was like, oh, this is what evil looks like. This is what hard choices look like. And and Watchmen did a fantastic job with that and capturing that because, you know, I mean, the, the, for, for those who haven't seen Watchmen, you know, there is a very difficult choice by three people at the end of that movie. And that that's a real life choice. And I think people want that. And I think people want that in anime. They, they don't want the, the moronic character of Goku powering up and, you know, throwing a spirit bomb to destroy Frieza. Okay. They, they don't want, they want the good guy to win, but they want the good guy to win at a sacrifice. Exactly. Exactly. Now, let me ask you first, Andrew. I'm going to ask you a quick question. Changing gears, like, as far as, like you said, like, shock and awe. Have you ever, like, come across something where, like, it really, like, spoke to you, like, wow, this is really deep. Like, I wasn't expecting this. Have you, have you come across anything like that? Oh, I I just read The Other Side by uh, Jason Aaron, and that, that book was, was brutal. Um. It's it's an American soldier and a Viet Cong member, and they come across each other, and it's about Vietnam, and that thing is is just a beautiful book that makes you think about Vietnam, and makes you think about what it means to be an American soldier, what it means to be a Viet Cong member, 
and what it means to be these people on our land. And, you know, you know, I mean, I'm a patriotic guy, but in many ways you respond and you say, that's pretty messed up what we did. And, and, and it's pretty messed up and you're getting it through his eyes and both the Viet Cong's members eyes. And you're getting a very interesting perspective on what is going on and what happened and changes your worldview a lot. And so it very much spoke to me as somebody who enjoys understanding a different perspective. And then the other thing I read was Superman Red Sun, which is what if Superman came to Earth? I'm not exactly sure of the time, so don't quote me on this, but Superman landed in Kansas. Theoretically, if he came six hours ahead, he would have been in Russia. And what if Superman was didn't have an S on his chest, but a hammer and a sickle and was doing what he thought was best for the Soviet Union and defending justice, but for the Soviet Union instead of America. And that changes your perspective. And it really talks about socialism, communism, and capitalism. And in 2019, that book was written in 2004, speaks even more volume now than it did in 2004. Yeah, and that's, and that's a really important thing to kind of put out there is that some of the older stuff that you experience even from just as short or long a period of time ago as 2004 is still highly relevant right now. But before we get into some more controversial conversations here with Andrew um, and promote a little bit of what he's doing and what comes next for his interviews, we do want to take a short commercial break, if you will. We want to talk just for a moment about PodCoin, who's done wonders for us in promoting us for our podcast. And, you know, if you're interested in PodCoin, it's a great way to not only make some money for yourself, maybe getting a little extra gift card for yourself, but you can also get points and help out any of your favorite charities as well. So a great service with PodCoin. And we'll be back in just a brief moment with more with Andrew and the controversy of what is in the comic and anime world and what's up next. Seamless transition. So, Andrew, it seems like you've seen a lot of the controversy in these worlds, and you've touched briefly upon wrestling and fighting and kind of that the, the physical combat of a lot of these shows. Is there a fight scene or a battle or, or anything from the anime or comics you've read or, or watched that really spoke out to you as this is like one of those scenes, those moments? So th- th- there is the scene that, that maybe a lot of people go to, and it's from My Hero Academia, where it's All Might versus uh, one, one for, for All for One. Um, and All for One is, is a bad guy whose quirk and his superpower is consuming everybody's quirk. It's, it's all for him. And it's a final battle between the two of them. And All Might is losing his power, but he keeps going and going and going. And it's televised, and you see his weakened state. And it's very much the end of an era between these two forces colliding and going at it one last time and going the distance to end it. And it's broadcasted in front of the entire world. And the reason why it's the end of an era is because he handed his power to Deku, who is the main character of My Hero Academia, who didn't have a power much like um, One for All. And so that's very much it, where he's using his last power and he's the symbol of peace and freedom. And you get this sense that with this last battle, it's opening up the floodgates, meaning that the mantle is shifting and that the symbol 
for peace and justice is now at its end and there will be a new one, but that person isn't ready yet. And that that person has to grow up. And before he can maintain that, it's almost an open season. And it's very, very symbolic of that. And it speaks volume. And the best way how I describe it is that the song My Hero by the Foo Fighters is something that goes really nicely with it. And I'm actually working on an AMV with that right now and doing it myself and editing and having good time with that where, you know, the, the lyric is, there goes my hero. He's just ordinary and very much that is almighty. He's ordinary, but he's like this world's hero and you're seeing him in his last battle and you're realizing that, that he, he is the best, but that his reign as a hero is over and that what happens next and, and it's, it, it, it's so eye opening. And you, and you feel the entire, like, 20 minutes of the fight. And and it makes you sad. And, and it's, a, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. <laughs> and it feels more real than almost anything else that, that I've seen in, in a while. And that's really, I think, and that's really the, the point of it, too. I mean, because, you know, for a lot of years, I think, and I think you probably have seen this or experienced it, is, like, anime and animated shows were considered to be not as good as live action or kind of childish or whatever. And it's really just now starting to come into its own and really now starting to become a, a really artistic medium that has real stories to tell. And it's a shift in culture and a generation who's kind of grown up on it. Um, is there, is there something you'd like to see come out of this, like a show or an anime that's something that's next, that's raw, as you were talking about, that you want to see come next from a show or a spinoff of a show or something like that. Honestly, I think, I think the next raw show and it's going to get bloody. It's going to get ugly is 2020 with attack on Titan season four, the final season. I mean, I think, I think that's going to be a blood fest. I think, I think it's going to be bloody. I think it's going to be thought provoking. I mean, the manga. So seasons one, two, and three have followed the manga and the manga has been phenomenal. The manga has raised questions about government and about insurrection, as well as overthrowing government. And they've killed it on all three seasons so far. And the fourth season, if it follows the manga, is going to be something else. And it's going to be a gore fest. It's going to be a thought-provoking entity. And then the other show that's going to kill it, and I know it's a cop-out, but it's My Hero Academia. Season four is going to be really good, too, because there's a lot of stuff coming out. And I'm not as far as in the manga as I am in Attack on Titan, where I'm all caught up in Attack on Titan. But from what I know and hear and can see, I mean, that, that show is going to just kill it, too. Um, and so th those are the two big things. And then get other stuff that is just fascinating to watch. But I would like more military and I'd like more strategic military shows. And I like more almost real time military components, right? And, and so that that's what I'm out. But but the thing that that I'm excited about is Akira and the live action, yeah. Which was which was trending today on Twitter. I yes, mean, I, I saw mean, that. So that that looks good, and it should be interesting with Thor and it being pushed back with Thor four now, which I'm not happy about. Yeah, I'm surprised at that too because I. 
I'm kind of over the Thor thing. I, I'm I, I'm I'm sad that they're pushing one thing for another like that. I mean, Thor is great and all, but I'm not actually a fan of his new direction with all this comedy. I feel he was better as a serious hero, um, you know, and and killing stuff and doing Thor-like things. So I, I'm hoping that they they kind of bring him back to a little more darkness, but I doubt it at this point. Sadly, so that's my two-minute rant on that. Um, I <laughs> I didn't want to switch over because you you've you've interviewed and you said you want to interview four or five hundred people in the next fourteen years. So I gotta ask, you've got to have some names in mind right now who you want to interview, and maybe not the the easiest ones, but the ones that you're like, I need to talk to this person because what's on that list for you? George Perez, Mark Wolfman, Bryce Pratt. Happenbrook, Brook, uh, he's Aaron from from Attack on Titan. Josh Grell, he's Armin from Attack on Titan. I definitely want to, I want to follow up with Solo Darling again because because I'm planning to follow up with all these people because what what happens with me is that so uh, I'll tell a quick story. So I did Solo Darling almost four years ago, and she's a wrestler. And what's crazy is that. For about a year, she was in the same position. And in the last three years, she has gone from night to day. She's gone from, from, from pretty much day to night. She, she's a completely different person. She's an amazing wrestler. And she is killing it. And so if I was to interview her, it's almost like it's a whole new interview. And so that that's the thing is that a lot of what I want to do is I want to re-interview these people because they're, they're killing it. Um Cody Rhodes is another one. He is one of the founders of AEW, which is going to be a real tough interview to get. Um, and then, and then, as far as more more comic people, I think it'd be cool to do Scott Snyder. I think it'd be fun to do Charles Soule. Ryan Brown would be interesting. Matt Rosenberg. I'm going to be having an interview with Sia Ohm. Sia Ohm just is coming out with Lola XOXO Volume Three. I think that just came out like a week ago. So yeah, that, that's gone. cool. And and so I have an interview with her, hopefully either mid-August or early September. And we're, we're in the talks right now. Um, and then there, there's just a bunch of indie people that I just want to do. I was just at a Comic-Con uh, three days ago. And just a bunch of indie people that nobody knows yet because I'm looking for the next superstar. And so that that's where I go. And then also I just want to do a lot more Kickstarters. Because I think Kickstarter is so interesting with comics right now. I think it's way more interesting than DC and Marvel. Image is interesting in, in many ways. But even still, I think Kickstarter is, is the future. And I think that, that that's where a lot of cool people are coming. I've done a few people on Kickstarter. And I've done really successful Kickstarters. And it's, it's interesting how they're creating for, for almost niche audiences. But then again you do your first project and then you build your sequel and it grows and it grows and it grows. And it's just really cool stuff is happening. And it really sounds like a lot of this is, is passion driven for you where it's just, is not just an interview. These are people that you really have a passion for what they do and the art that they create and the, and the, the world that they are involved in almost. And or, or, you know, or they're I, a cute cosplayer. Well, that's, yeah, well, we, <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. See, Ernie, we need to get some cosplayers, too. Oh, um, I wish, gosh. Yeah. That's why I can't open up my Instagram in front of my parents, because of all the cosplayers. That's all it is. That's <laughs> all it's on there. Um, but it, it's, an, it's an exciting thing, and I, because I, I know you've done a couple of cosplayers, is, 
I always felt with cosplayers, you almost want to try and do a video podcast with them. Does an audio work as well with that type of guest? Yeah, it it does. <laughs> it's the reason why I think it works is that I have such a variety. So I like to do a cosplayer, but I don't just do like ten cosplayers in a row. I I mix it up, and audio is the most easily transportable file. And yeah, true. So, so as much as I, I'm not a video guy, it's not my thing. I, I prefer just because video takes up gigs. You know, I have a Mac, you know, video will kill me. It will kill me doing an hour long interview. I mean, that's like 20 gigs. If, if at the most, it's probably more like 40 and also I don't have a good setup, but it works great because it's very informal. I do a lot of stuff over Skype so I can still see the person. And I'm just not really into it, but but it works fine. I mean, they do well. They they do well. Right. It's, it's cool. And cosplayers are interesting. I mean, I mean, the real though thing that's fascinating about cosplayers, and obviously I'm finishing up season two on my show, but season three, I don't want to do any female cosplayers because there's an abundance of them. It, it it's like finding a Nitto Ran. In, in, in Pokemon, there's like 1,900 of them, or a Rattatatatata, whatever yeah, it's called. Every corner. Yeah, every corner. <laughs> you want to find the Moltres, or the Zapdos, or the Articuno, because then those are the male cosplayers. Yes, I just compared male cosplaying <laughs> to legendary Pokemon. Yeah, you, that's oh, good. I like it. <laughs> but, but finding them are really hard. I think I've only interviewed two male cosplayers. Out of the 100 interviews, I think I've done like 18 or 19 cosplayers and two of them have been men and they are impossible to find. They are impossible to reach out. And then the ones that are reached out, like the hours like, Oh, I would love to do it. I'm just so swamped and, and, and he's swamped because there are so few of them that, that, that when they need a shoot, there's legitly like a hundred men cosplayers who do all the cosplay shoots and they're booked indefinitely. Wow. That's crazy. See, that's what we should do, Ernie. We should definitely get into the cosplay realm. It looks like that. That's our next biz- uh, big business venture is cosplaying, male cosplaying, and do some photo shoots. It'd be awesome. I'm not sure who we could play, but, you know, we'll get into it. I think Kingpin is about it for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I can do. Well, hey, I, hey, I, hey, I, size does not matter. Well, I'm also bald, so <laughs> that size doesn't matter, skin color doesn't matter, cosplay Hair. does not mean consent. <laughs> nice, I like that. It does not need consent, folks. It's that's true. You've heard it here first. Um, I, well, I will. I really want to thank you, Andrew. This has been absolutely delightful. It's exciting to hear who you're be talking to, who you have talked to. Um, and who you're currently, you know, recording and waiting to push out to the masses. Uh, I want to give you a hot moment um, to promote a little bit of what you're doing next, your channel and all of your stuff real quick before we end tonight's show. If you don't mind, go ahead and, and give us a little bit of what your projects are that you have coming up. So I got a bunch of stuff going on. First and foremost, my website is popanimecomics.com. And you can listen to the podcast there, which is the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. I am on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, about 19 to 25 and a half other directories and all that stuff can be found either by Googling me or going to my website. You can listen right there on the website. And nice thing about my website is it's got all my social up there. So my Instagram is pop anime comics, Facebook page is pop anime comics. And the reason why you should like my Facebook page is when I do these panels, I live 
stream them on Facebook Live. So you get a panel for free because I'm not getting paid and it's my way of sticking it to the con. So whenever I'm at a whenever whenever I'm at a con, I try to live stream my work because I think it's cool, I think it's fun, but it's only up for two weeks. It's a happy compromise. As well as I do have discount Fridays that I'm working on. So there's a lot of cool products out there and I try to get discounts for my fans and people like my Facebook page. And so this Friday, I have something coming out. Not going to tell you what it is, so you got to like my Facebook page. And it will be up there for a bunch of other Fridays pinned up at the top. It's going to be an every other week thing. So definitely check that out. A lot of cool products. Twitter is at PopAnimeComics. And I write anime articles, comic articles. I'm doing the podcast. Again, 14 years, 500 interviews to do. want to be at the 600 range by the time I'm 40. So... That's kind of where I'm at, and everything else is is kind of around that. And hopefully, I got some panels coming up. And the best way how to deal with me with panels and find out what I'm doing is either on the Facebook page, but probably more on Twitter because I will tweet it out. But I'll put it on both. And yeah, that, that's everything I got. I'm a busy that's guy. Fantastic. You I'm are a busy very guy. busy guy. Wait, what, what? What I didn't hear though was you taking time out to go to Area 51 with everybody else. Oh, I have people for guy. that. I have people for that. <laughs> Good for you. Only send the people. Don't do it yourself. That's fantastic. I want to definitely look forward. Uh, I love your website. It's so cool looking, and you have a lot of good articles. I just you can pop right in. And you start reading articles. It's great that you've written. You you got a great style. So I love that. Um, and we really appreciate you coming on our little show. Uh, appreciate the cross uh, cross population here. Definitely going to check you out. Uh, definitely join your Facebook page so I see what's going on Friday. Um, Ernie, as always, if you will, make us gloriously exciting and give us that message. Peace out. Peace out, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel.